My name is Dean Wolf. I'm one of the, well, the only temporary elder. So you want to put up with me too long, hopefully, but I'm joined to be able to come and, and be able to share the Word of God. I love the Word of God. I, I've been a minister of the gospel for 25 years, and Kathy and I have been blessed to be able to come under uh, Neil and Christine and their ministry here, and we're thrilled with Forest Park, and ever since we've been here, we've, we've grown in the Lord and enjoyed worshiping with you, so thank you for that. I'll be talking through, uh, well, preaching through Romans uh, 5, 1 through 11 is my main text. And I wanted just mainly to cover some main points of salvation. And a lot of us will go, well, man, we know justification by faith. We know, the, we know the hope of the glory of the Lord. We know grace, right? And every time I peer into pastor scriptures like this, I realize I don't know even a scratch of what is in there. In fact, even going to preach Romans uh, 5, 1 through 11, I've listened to Dr. Martin Lord-Jones, great minister, John Piper, great minister, just drawing, not to, to, to conform to them, but drawing from them. And they all emphasize different things in the same passages of Scripture because it's so meaty. And then I listened to one of the greatest pastors for me, one of the greatest preachers that I love the most, and his, his name is Neil Grobler. I don't know if you know him. You can catch him on the internet. It's awesome. And uh, same thing with him. He covered in different things as, as we went through the uh, series of, of Romans. So what a great book. How many love Romans? Come on now. So let's just pray and we ask God's blessing. How many know that if God doesn't show up for you and illuminate your heart, I might as well be re reading Moby Dick, honestly, because you need the Holy Spirit, the presence of the living God to transform your life. It says we must be born again even to see the kingdom of God. We need the Spirit of God to open up as I'm, I'm begging Him. Father, please don't let it be Dean they see or you'll go home totally empty more than you came. But God, if it's all about you, Jesus, please you show your people who you are and the beauty who you are by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's why we pray. We're trusting Him and worship going, Father, right now we do that now. Father, we love you. We absolutely are in need of you every moment of our life. We don't breathe without you, and we do not believe without you. So, Lord, we're here as dependent, needy people, but also worshipful, expectant people, knowing who you are through Jesus Christ, and knowing you, Jesus, who you are, that you would come and meet us here and show yourself glorious and beautiful, and that that message of who you are, Jesus, would transform the way we think the way we talk, and the way we live. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, to have your way, even in me. Do what you want to do here this morning as you feel led. We trust you with our lives. We trust you with all that we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, most of you hopefully know Romans. If you not, go back to the series. I think it was a couple years ago, I believe, and it's worth a revisit. We know in Romans 1, gospel was exalted. Passages like Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation for the Jew first and unto the Greek. For the gospel or the message of Jesus Christ is the power unto salvation. And that, but it goes into unbelief and the consequences then. When you go down to further in Romans 1, about how they, God showed himself in his individual attributes, but they didn't recognize him as God and were not grateful for him and we see all the horrible consequences, really, that we're actually seeing in our lives and around us now in our society. Romans 2 deals with the impartiality of God. 
We know that he came from the Jew, but he makes sure that he know, everybody knows this gospel is for everyone, for the Jew and also for everyone else, the Gentiles. Then he covers Romans 3, that all the world is guilty. And sometimes we don't want to hear those type of things, but all the world is guilty, for all have sinned, right? So we hear all the world is guilty, and then we also hear in Romans 3, as we heard earlier in the prayer that we did, and as Neil took us through it, justification by faith. And we'll talk about that here in a moment. And then, of course, justification by faith as evidence in the Old Testament and 4. He wants to make sure that we know it wasn't the law of Moses that we could find our value and worth and find our salvation. He wanted to make sure that the Jews understood that, and we understand that well, because sometimes we think we can do it in our own strength, don't we? I always tell people, if you think you can do it in your own strength, I'm going to give you a command of the Lord. You ready? Rejoice always. Let us pray. You can leave now. <laughs> I think those are there. How about in everything? In everything, give thanks. Do not be anxious for anything. Well, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. Go do that, right? He wants us to be needy, knowing we can't do it on our own. We need His ever, every moment presence, His guide, His strength. And so we seek His face. So He does that in just a great order, Paul does, as He's writing to Romans about it's not even Old Testament values or the, or the law of Moses. And, of course, now we rest here in Romans 5, the result of justification. And so let's read. Well, I'm going to just read Romans 5, 1 through 11. So give me a second to put on my eyes. My arm's not long enough anymore. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exalt in hope of the glory of God. And we also, not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations. Uh-oh. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit He's given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one would hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good, good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates His love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by His blood, shall we be saved from the wrath of God through Him? For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we should be saved by His life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Therefore, having been justified by faith, it says in one, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained our induction by faith into this grace by which we stand, and we exalt in the hope of the glory. So I want to define, you'll see in your bulletin, you can go to it if you'd like to, but I want you to define it in your own words as you hear it come forth and as you see it in Scripture, that it should be an application for yourself, right? What is the glory of God? For us to say, for all of sin... And fall short of the glory of God. Well, to some, that, well, what's that mean? Why, why would I worry about the glory of God? So what's the glory of God? 
To me, it's everything that God is. It's God in His person. Probably a, a bad illustration, but as we need the sun that illuminates life, that gives life that we can't function without the sun, so God is, but so much more, for He created the sun. He's a God who, when He spoke, put unif- the universe into position. When He speaks, stars happen. When He creates, a bluebird is painted blue. He, 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 he's amazing to me because he'll make the cricket as well as the whale. And yet he has black holes sw- swallowing up galaxies that we'll never know about. We see him in his creation when we hear a little baby cry. And we see past the beauty of the little baby to the beautiful one who created the baby. It's the glory of God he wants us to see in creation. That we would see him and be met, just overwhelmed. Have you ever been at the ocean's edge? And you look at sometimes, or out on a boat, and you can't see the shore, and you're like, this is overwhelming. Anybody? Think of God. He's limitless. And He's limitless in His goodness, and He's limitless in His holiness. There's no one as pure. There's no one as kind. There's no one as faithful. When I talk about the glory of God, I'm talking about the person of my God, who's very valuable to me who says he's loved me with an everlasting love, and by that love he's drawn me. He said he holds my tear as if in a bottle. He's the God who counts the hairs on my head. He's the one who's described his name on the palm of his hand. That's the God I love, who said he will not leave me as orphans, but He and the, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit will come and make their abode in me. I am indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. That's the glory I'm talking about. That's the glory you were made for. I don't care if you've never known the Lord. You're sitting here today and never made a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, or you've known Him for years. You need to know, to know Him is what eternal life is all about. It's not about just heaven, streets of gold, and seeing Aunt Mabel. Although that's the blessing that comes from the glory of God. There is no heaven without Jesus Christ. It says in Revelation 22, and they will see his face. And that's what excites me. I don't want to go to heaven if he's not there. He's everything to me. He's more real than you sitting in that seat. He's more real to me than the flesh of my bones. He's my best buddy, and yet he's also my sovereign Lord. And so we talk about the glory of God. It says in John 17, 3, this is Jesus praying to God. So God praying to God. And he says, this is eternal life. So it's Jesus speaking to the Father. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. That's eternal life, people. So if you think heaven's not going to be all about knowing him more forever, and being no longer restrained by sin or 10% of your brain, which I probably use five. But, but can you imagine 100% of your brain with no sin to keep any obstacles in your way and to run as hard and as fast as you want to know the glories of God? One of my favorite, hopefully, Catherine, remember to put this on my tombstone, Psalm 1611. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forever. I don't know about you, but that excites me. 
That's what I think about what the glory of God is, and it's so limited. So please don't strike me down for not being exhaustive on every detail, okay? So know Him in the glory of who He is. And then for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God will mean a lot to you going, I want to know that. I want to know Him. It also talks about, define, I'm going to define hope a little bit in a very limited way, and we'll go quickly. It says, and we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. How many hope for our ingrown toenail next week? Lift your hand. We hope for what's good. We desire, hope is desire. Man, I desire Christ. If you tell a kid, honey, we're going to go to Cold Stones, and we're going to get yourself a, you can get whatever you want, any ice cream you want. Come on, right? It wouldn't be Andy for your children to get all excited and they're all pumped up and they can't wait. They're already thinking about licking it and thinking it. That's hoping, church, in a, in a rudimentary way. Be a kid when it comes to the kingdom of God. Delight in Him, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Hope in Him, it's a strong desire being predicated on the promise of its fulfillment. Longing and expectation of something good. But this hope I'm talking about is a biblical hope founded upon God. Because it's based on something or someone that's substantial and will not give out. The one who's worth it all. It's not based on hope and fleeting things. Things that we can buy, our name, our fame, even our families. It's based upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? That is where biblical hope rests. It's entirely on God and His Son, Jesus Christ. Because this hope doesn't disappoint, it tells us. Why? Because it's based on the glory of God. Our hope is based in the person of God. The one who is hope, our, our, our hope is set on the perfect, unchanging, unchanging and worthy one. It says He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we hope in Him because it's based on Him. We hope in, on Him because it's procured by Him. We'll hear in a second. And we hope in Him because He gives us His Spirit within us to substantiate that hope. Look down on your passage of Scripture, Romans 5, 5. It says, And this hope does not disappoint. Remember, we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. Come down to 5. And, and hope, this hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts. How many know that we're all about the Word of God and that is our boundary and we're going to stick to it and make sure we see God through Scripture? But how many know it's okay to have an experience with God? Somebody please explain to me what born again is. It's what it is, is, is I went with Neil and he gave me a membership card and I said yes to all these doctrinal statements. No, sir. No, ma'am. Born again is an experience where the Holy Spirit comes and you were once dead and comes by you and he goes, Live. And you can't really articulate well, so we let the Bible do that because it does a great job. But we know, how many know that you know that you know? Couple, that's good. So we're, we're working it, we're working it. So, Dina, you talked about personal encounter? Absolutely. I don't know what you're going to do when the rapture comes. We're not about experience. Well, good luck with that. It's when God comes and sucks you off the earth through Jesus Christ and takes you to heaven. How many know that's going to probably be experience? Look, I'm, I'm all about the Word of God. I'm reading it 
every year. I love it. I'm going to continue to read it. I wish I could read it three or four times a year. My wife can validate that. I've been doing it for 20-some years. But when it comes to my wife, I know all, all kinds of things about her, but I don't want to just read about her in a letter, although I don't mind reading things about her. I can know all the descriptions about her. I can know all the details of how she does this and that and the other, but I want to hold her. I want to be satisfied in her presence. Do not be afraid. But we don't be emotional. Do you know he, he's given us a whole book called Psalms? That those who are born again and love Jesus Christ, He can redeem your emotions. That you even know how to handle your anger correctly under God's control. You even know how to handle your rejoicing under God. How to be lonely correctly through the Scriptures of Psalms. There's a whole book of it. It's right in the middle. I love what Paul said in Timothy. He says, I know whom I have believed in. I know whom I have believed in. And I know that He is able to keep that which I've entrusted to Him until that day. I know Him. Colossians 1.27, as He procures our hope so well, what He said, this mystery is great, but I speak of you as Christ in you, the hope of glory. How many need hope? How many know that He's given you Christ in you, the hope of glory? So he, he walls up for you to be able to experience more of God and more of Him every moment if you would just believe in faith. Let's go to, back to 5.1. So we're going backwards, almost like osmosis, like a uh, paper towel on a spill. We're just going to spread out here a little bit. Therefore, having been justified by faith. So Paul takes us into 5.1 and he presents therefore. In other words, Take all the things that I've spoken to you, wrote to you, and consider. Having been justified by faith, the gospel at its core, listen, church, listen, my friends, especially in an age where everything's trying to be tolerant, and everything's got to be correct, and you've got to be careful of everything you say. The gospel at its core is polarizing. Digging down deep, we can go, well, God is love, and you can beckon somebody to come into that. But ultimately, they need to know they're under the wrath of God. They're a sinner like you are, and they need a cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and someone to die for them. It's polarizing. Because at the cross is amazing. At the cross, we see the hatred of God. And at the same spot, we see the very love of God. And that's the wonderful paradoxes of God. How can it be where he showed the greatest love of God, the greatest love of God we see, and the greatest hatred towards sin? His wrath poured out. One act. Amazing. And there's two universal truths that no one can deny dealing with this polarization. The universality of sin. How many know we're sinners? How many abide by that rule, unfortunately, every day and concur with that? Whether in word, thought, or deed... Wow. How many don't, don't take a, a little kid two years old? What are the first kind of words they know besides mom and dad? That kind of comes usually after no. And mine. Who did that? Mine. And how about don't touch this. Don't, Edgar, don't touch that. Guess what Edgar's going for? It's innate. We're born into sin. We're sinners. It's a universal, universal idea. We know that all humanity have sinned. And therefore, because all of sin, we also understand every one of us will die. 
And this is where we find ourselves. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we heard in Romans 3, as Neil read, it was greatest, really the, one of the best passages of justification by faith you can find in Scripture, I, I think. I'll just kind of do a little quick illustration. God is entirely holy and pure. So to me, justification by faith, anybody ever heard just as if I'd never sinned, justified? Just God looks at you through Jesus Christ as if you've never sinned. You are declared righteous. It's a proclamation from God Almighty on your life because of the work of Jesus Christ alone. I put it to you this way. We all have sinned. So I go into the great court tribunal of God Almighty. For He is the righteous and holy judge. There's no sin, no imperfection in Him. There's no sin that can dwell in His presence. Not one. In fact, the Bible makes it very clear. If you've done one sin, you've done them all. How about this one? If you do something, if it's not by faith, this is sin. We've all sinned. We can concur. So me, my sin, I was going, I had to enter to the court of a holy God, a holy judge who is pure and holy and can't handle any sin in me. Not to mention my long scroll of sin throughout 55 years. That could probably run down to Nanjimoy, circle back, and head on down to Lexington Park. You could flip it out. Come on, thought, word, and deed. And I have to enter that courtroom. I have to go before a holy God, a magnificent God, a glorious, loving God, but a just and holy, wrathful God who does not play with sin. And I had to go up and face Him. Church, we all will have to face this day the judgment seat of God. But someone from the side of me, said, Father, as we planned, I will take his penalty. I will take his death. I will drink the full wrath that you want to pour on Dean. Pour it on me. And Jesus walked in and took my position. He took all my sin. He drank down the very dregs of all my wickedness. And he set me free. And I have no condemnation. I'm set at liberty by only Jesus Christ alone. Woo! Did you tell them I was going to get loud? Up there, sorry, but you're up there regulating it. They're trying to help. So it's not only a judicial term of justification by faith, but it's a covenant term. Not only the judge who is a right, true judge, but that judge is my daddy. He's my father. He's my Abba. And he it says he was willing to bruise and crush his son in Isaiah. 53, it says it pleased the Lord to crush him. I can't figure that out. Why the father was pleased to crush his son other than they planned it before the creation of this world. And if you don't understand it's all about the glory of God in creation and also in redemption about seeing God, you will never get it all lined up rightly. I believe that the origination of sin as planned he didn't make us sin, but it was in his course of his mind that he would use sin to be the back, the black velvet backdrop for the most glorious diamond you would ever see. Let me tell you, maybe the pearl of great price it would tell us in Matthew. Jesus Christ, that when you lay that diamond of Jesus Christ on all that filth and all that heinousness and all that degradation and wickedness and division, he would shine as gloriously as he is. There's no one like him. So what he did, I believe he made a venue. They planned it, God the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, before eternity 
as we know it, he made a venue that everybody who ever would live would have to sit in this amphitheater. And he'd shut you down in sin. In fact, some of the pastors say, he shut us up in disobedience. In other words, you know you don't deserve to be there. You know why you are filthy. You know that it's you. It's nobody else. You can't blame anybody else. You're sitting there, all humanity. And in the center of that ring is the cross of Jesus Christ. And your life is, how is your life looking at that? Do you believe and trust the Jesus who died on it? Or are you trusting yourself? Everybody, and you're going to have to, there's so many different approaches to how that would affect you. One of the greatest questions you'll ever be asked is this one they asked the God, uh, the, the, his disciples. Who do people say that I am? You say, well, you're probably John the Baptist or Elijah or Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Who do you say that I am? Watch this. Only by the Spirit of the living God can you call Jesus Lord and that he's come in the flesh. Uh-oh. That means something supernatural had to happen in your life. You must be born again. For you to be able to say, and everybody can say Jesus is Lord, saved or not. Jesus is Lord. I'm talking about from your heart. How many know it says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. How many know it's not limited for anyone? How many know it's for everyone? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We're getting there. I was watching the videos and seeing how much time I have, but judging off my pastor, who I love. I love you, buddy. You're an awesome pastor, buddy. Actually, I was very nervous coming up here because I really respect what he does from here. Defining lordship, I'll just touch on now. How many, I guess I really did, to be able to declare him Lord and not just Savior. He's not a get out of jail free or get out of hell free card. Either he's Lord of your life or he's not. And you know how many mess up through the week. But how many know he has a way of just convicting you and bringing you back and making you remember all that he is for you? That's because you're probably born again and saved and have the Spirit of God in you. He goes on to say, and two, through whom also, through Jesus Christ, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ, through whom also we have our introduction, which means access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And so I'm just going to finish up probably with this idea, defining grace. And it's, I saw this many years ago, and it came, and how many of you ever had the scripture just like pop off the page? And you're like, man, I've read this a bunch of times, and now I'm seeing this for the first time, and I love it. I want you to notice in verse 6 where it says, while we were. I don't know if your translation will It'll probably say something different. I mean, something different, but maybe close in line, maybe not verbatim. Verse 6 says, while we were. Verse 8 also says, while we were. And verse 10 says, while we were. So Paul's trying to emphasize, not only are you justified by faith, but you've come into this grace by, through Jesus Christ alone. You have access into this grace of God. How I many know mercy is like we didn't get what we deserve? We deserve death, and Jesus took it for us. And grace is like getting what we don't deserve, like all the blessings of who God is in his person. So what Paul does is he defines 
grace in these verses here. In verse five, five um, I mean, verse six, it says, "While we were still helpless, for while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still helpless, you're thinking, well, man, that's pretty awesome." You know, you, you dug a hole or, or you fell into a hole. Your life, you fell into a hole. And it was slime and you tried to, all your strength to, to try to crawl your way up the hole, out of the hole. And you slid back down because in your strength you'll never have it. So much you try to keep on trying to scale out of there on your own. And you end up in the bottom of the mire with all the slime and you start to take in the slime. You need someone to come and save you. You're helpless. Your inability to save yourself. Paul's letting us know, first of all, it's you're helpless. There's nothing you can do on your own. Nothing. You need someone to come save you. And this salvation, this Christianity that we believe here at Forest Park is different than a lot of other religions outside. Many religions, there's somebody that walk up, maybe some type of priest or something, go, hey, if you turn to Mecca, hey, dude down there in the hole, if you turn to Mecca and you bow three times, you might be able to get yourself out of there. Or maybe nirvana, maybe if you just believe well about who you are and think good of yourself, maybe you'll float out of there. But my Jesus comes to the hole and looks down at me while I'm in there and I'm helpless and I, I need someone to save me. He looks down and he throws me a rope. Not done. Climbs down the rope. Puts me on his shoulders and carries me up out. That's Christianity. Where I was helpless and no strength, he came, it says right here in Scripture, while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He could, kind of defines it in 7, it said, for one would hardly die for a righteous man. In other words, probably not, but some people might die for someone who's got everything in order and everything seems presentable and seems righteous, so maybe they die for that. For a good person, in other words, maybe someone would die for a good man because he, he's kind, he's loving. So he's kind of letting you know that maybe the definitiveness of grace is not just in our helplessness. So he goes to 8 and he says, but God demonstrates his love towards us and while we were yet sinners. Uh Uh-oh. Helpless and a holy God. You, holy God. Chasm, helplessness. Now he wants to widen the chasm. Not just helpless, but sinners. Now, God's still holy. I'm not only helpless, now I'm a sinner. It's not very palatable to our human nature, is it? But the gospel presentation of grace is there in that. It says, but God demonstrates his love towards, towards us, and while we were yet sinners. In other words, the hole that I was in, I dug that. And I was happy digging it. Everything about the whole scene, the, the slime at first seemed wonderful to me. I was licking it off my hands. It was all, come on, sin for a season is pleasurable. But sin leads to death. I'm a sinner. I'm helpless. Inability. Sinner. Totally unworthy of him to even turn a wink my way. But he still came. He demonstrated his love towards me and you. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Well, hold on to your toupee and your wig. Hold on for a second. It's our complete inability and gives us complete assurance that if he, we were helpless and I couldn't do it, and I'm, I'm a servant, I'm, I'm a sinner and unworthy, and yet he did it. Who did it? You can say it. He did. Jesus. 
That gives me great confidence in it. Well, if he did it and I couldn't do anything to get it going, I'm going to have to rely on him to get me home. But he goes further. In verse 9, I'm drawing to an end. That's what pastors say. As I can continue to conclude. <laughs> Sorry, pastor. I told him he, he has a benefit. He can yank me off. I think I told Matt before I started, I said, uh, it's a win-win that I'm preaching. Either you like it, and it kind of goes with your style a little bit, and you think, hey, I see Jesus in it. Or you'll be re- real happy that Pastor Neil's your teaching prep pastor. <laughs> I can't wait for Pastor Neil to come back. So hopefully it'll draw your longing towards that. Verse 9, and you go through when you can. There's a lot of much more uh, verbiage in here in this, in this chapter. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. We already heard about that, didn't we? We're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. We're not born again with the futility of our forefathers thinking in silver and gold, but we are saved, redeemed, purchased by the precious blood of the Lamb, blameless and spotless, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And by that blood, it says, it actually says, I don't know where it's at, it said, He drank down the full dregs of humanity's sin. Your sin and my, think about every, all humanity's sin. He took it all. It tells us when we read in 2 Corinthians, he who knew no son became sin. But here's the chasm, the chasm wide. Remember helpless? Remember sinner? Now we're all the way over here as an enemy. Paul, you're supposed to, you're helpless. Okay, sinner, huh? Enemy, oh man. And God's still here, and the chasm ever widens, and you're going, there's no way he'll come my way. I don't deserve it. I can't get there. And it's certainly because I've blasphemed his name. I've cursed him to his face in my actions. When you do sin, you know what you're saying? You don't satisfy me like I know I can satisfy myself. That's sin. It's an idol, anything that you put up before God. And not only are we just sinners, but we are enemies. That word has a uh, notation in, in the Bible as war term. It's a war term. Total enmity. Total separation. But, but listen. For while we were enemies, <laughs> we were reconciled to God through the death, here it is again, remember? Dead, Jesus died, he, his death, and here again his death. We're reconciled to God through the death of his son. And watch, I'll finish with this thought. So I might not get all the definitions, so this might be my first and last time preaching. Enemy. Helpless in ability, totally unworthy, and absolutely an enemy of God. So he wants you to see that great chasm. Why? Because it brings beauty to the bridge. That's grace. Jesus spanned anything you've ever done and any pit you've ever put yourself in. He spanned that pit. Jesus is the glorious bridge of all redemption. He came and got you and set you on your feet. And cause you to come alive when you are helpless, unworthy, and an enemy. Now watch. Finish off on this. 
For while we were enemies, for the death of His Son, much more. So not only did He save you, in other words, He didn't just, God didn't come and save you, and so you had the wrath of God on you, and He took it off, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to set you in melancholy for all eternity. That, if you knew eternal torment, you'd be like, that's cool. I don't mind blasé to eternal torment. He didn't do it that way. He saves you while you're an enemy, and he reconciled you. Reconciled is a familial term. It's bringing back into relationship. It's a personal idea of a personal God who sent a personal Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for you and me that would reconcile you from the very farthest you ever, will ever be unto himself. Now watch. It says if he's reconciled you, if he did all that while you were an enemy, and it took you and brought you all the way over where you're in his bosom and in his side, how much more will he not save you by his life? Did you know right now the Holy Spirit is interceding for you? Do you know that Jesus Christ himself is interceding for you? I don't know about you. When God and God are praying to God for me, I can trust what they pray. I can trust in the saving grace of Jesus Christ. So to make it personal, I think it's been personal, right? It's a personal relationship with God Almighty. We heard about the glory of God. It's about the person of Him. It ends in 11 just saying this. And not only this, I like how Paul does that. And not only this, but we also exalt in God. So he, remember he said we exalt in the hope of the glory. Now he comes all the way down and says, not only this, but we exalt in God Himself. He's a wonder. And what does exalt mean? It means rejoice. It means boast. And I'm going to help you. I cannot, Matt cannot, Neil cannot, Andy cannot, none of us can manufacture your worship. Either you see him as beautiful or you haven't seen him. See, he's not only to be seen, but he's also to be savored in. I've heard this many, many times from many, many people. What do you think we're going to do there? You think we're just going to worship and sing songs? You have no concept then of what worship is. See, when I worship God, I'm in His presence, I'm receiving from Him and seeing Him. And every time I see Him, I get to see another facet of that diamond. You're glorious. And the moment I turn and look away and I look back up again, I see another facet of that diamond I never saw before. And my soul goes, beautiful. I can't, we can't juggle, we can't have the right style for you. If you don't have worship in your soul because you see Jesus as glorious and beautiful, you'll never worship him. You must be born again. It says, we exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. Let me pray for us. I know in many different degrees, Father, there's those sitting in this congregation, this meeting, are all along the scale of knowing you or not knowing you or really knowing you well or just starting their faith. 
Father, will you come and reveal your son? Father, will you turn, pull back the veil and let everyone here see the beauty of Jesus Christ, the scriptures that we've just gone through, and also through the beautiful work of the Holy Spirit. Let them see the beautifulness of your redemptive power, justification by faith, the hope that we have in you, the glory that resides in you, Father. Let them see the beauty of reconciliation, the beauty of you totally being the full substitute to Jesus for all of our sin. You took the full wrath of God and set us free. Let them feel in their heart that verse, therefore there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. Let them feel you just right now reach in and move on each life, Lord, here. We trust you. We thank you. We know this, is, this time is ordained. You've made all these people to see your glory, to experience your glory, and to live forever in your glory. And it can only come through seeing the glory that we have and the work and the finished work of Jesus Christ. Would you do that, Father, for them? We love you for your word and all that you are to us. We trust that when people walk out of here today, something will transpire in their hearts because you love them that much. In Jesus' name, amen.